Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Just a small disclaimer before this episode begins. You'll definitely hear a drop in volume on my end throughout the episode, and this was due to my mic not being picked up by the software. It is a mistake on my end, so I do apologize for that. Regardless, we do hope you're able to listen and take some benefit from this fruitful dialogue, inshallah. <laughs> Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Welcome to another episode of Sakatra Talks. It's your host Fahad, um, one of two co-hosts, and I'm with Mahad. Today we're going to be talking about the education system, and we are very fortunate to have a special guest with us today, the head teacher of Cumberland Community School, centred in East London, Mr. Omar Deria. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Alaikum salam, Fahad. How are you doing? Doing really well, actually, and uh, yeah, really pleased to be here, and I'm like, look, really looking forward to speaking to you both tonight. Thank you. I'll ask you to obviously give a bit more detail on your journey, but in giving a brief overview to the listeners, Omar, alhamdulillah, he graduated in business IT in 2003. He got his PGCE a few years later um, in information technology communications. He then, in 2011, he got an MA, a Master of the Arts, um, whilst working as an ICT teacher in Forest Gate Secondary School, am I right? Yeah. Um, he eventually went on to become first an assistant head teacher, then a deputy, and he was at Forest Gate for around six years. Eleven. 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 Eleven, 11 years. Wow. Long yeah. time. <laughs> and yeah, since, I believe, September 2019, you've taken the role of headmaster at Cumberland Community School where he is continuing to alhamdulillah flourish and face his own challenges. Mm. Um, Omar, we'd appreciate if you could maybe give us a bit of a background of yourself, you know, where you grew up, some of the obstacles in your path along the way to becoming a teacher. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, you've done really well actually there. <laughs> you've, uh, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. But yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I've been, you know, I, I've actually been in East London um, for over 30 years. So um, as a kid, uh, when I first came to the UK, uh, I lived in um, a place called Middlesbrough, which is uh, in the northeast of England. Uh, I moved down to England, or shall I say East London here, um, in the late 80s. So I've always been in East London. As a kid, I grew up in Redbridge. I went to school in Redbridge. And I live in Newham at the moment. I moved down to Newham uh, from Rupish about 25 years ago. So I've been in Newham. So I mean, Newham's my home. I've um, been working in Newham uh, schools since 2006, actually. I did my training uh, in St. Bonaventures mm, yeah. uh, and then. And then in Forest Gate, I worked, as you said in the intro, I worked in Forest Gate for, for 11 years uh, as a teacher of ICT, but uh, I also did various uh, roles. Uh, prior to becoming an assistant head teacher, I was a head of year for four years, uh, and then I was an assistant head teacher for, for three years um, and a deputy. In, for two years, deputy head teacher at Forest Gate, uh, and then in two thousand and nineteen, 
and I became uh, the head teacher of Cumberland Community School, which is just down the road in, in Plasto. And it, when I when I got there, it was a school in a in a very very challenging uh, place. And what do you mean by challenging? Uh, what do you mean? So usually schools are judged uh, on two areas, uh, and first and foremost, it's it, it's judged on the outcomes that it gives its uh, students when students leave and what sort of outcomes do they leave the school with. And when I got there in 2019, Cumberland was the second, it was in, in the league table of schools in Newham, it was at the bottom, second second from bottom. Uh, and uh, Ofsted rated it as requires improvement. So that's what, yeah. that's what, I, that's, that's what I meant, challenging. And uh, this is now my third year in, in you know in, in the school and uh, since I've got there uh, you know we have dramatically changed the school around um, and we are expecting to be uh, one of the highest performing schools in in the borough when hopefully when we get results yeah. uh, at the end of this year and we, we've you know we feel that had we've not had the pandemic and uh, we would have got the the outcomes to put Cumberland as one of the highest performing schools in Newham but you know uh, that was sort of written in the stars and it's also given us a you know an opportunity to to master what we what we do uh, and, and and hopefully we are also expecting Ofsted this year and once they come I'm very, very confident that the school will be judged outstanding. outstanding. Yeah. Um, I know that you mentioned previously um, that, and you mentioned that a lot actually, that results aren't enough, that you've got to basically, the school has to create a specific culture. What was the culture like when you first stepped in as headmaster? And what is the culture like now? Mm. So the culture when I got there is is very, very different to, to what it is at the moment. Mm. Um, when I got there, um, there was a lot of behaviour issues. Uh, attendance was below the national average. And there were staff who were there, who were there for many, many years, uh, who were comfortable. Uh, and uh, I had to, you know, uh, ask, you know, the staff who were there very serious questions. Mm. Um, and I also had to make radical and. Um, changes because the uh, Cumberland was known or, or associated with uh, not doing well and that was something that I set out to to change uh, and, and you know I, I'm very uh, pleased with the progress that we've made I'm really uh, you know impressed with you know the changes that have happened and you know I, you know, get visitors uh, to the school from all over the country. Yeah. And just before Christmas, I, I had a, a headmaster who came down from Swansea because uh, he, he read one of my blogs yeah. and uh, he wanted to know more about our school and, and the radical changes that we've done. And 
you know, he's very impressed. And I, and I always, you know, each week uh, I get at least two or three visitors or people that contact me wanting to, to come and visit our school, see the changes that we've made. Uh, and look, um, I, I would also urge uh, your listeners to, if they want to find out more about uh, Cumberland or if they live in Newham and they're looking for a school for their, for, for their children and they want to come and have a look at the school, what it's like, being in a in you know you know in a well structured well ordered uh, secondary school in Newham, get in contact with me uh, and uh, I'll be more than happy to show you around. It's a free advertisement there. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, Omar, um, was part of that success due to the implementation of the DPR, the Dynamic Progress System, or? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You really want to give a bit of an overview yeah, yeah. so so definitely. So the the, the you know the the DPR uh, which you've mentioned the dynamic progress report was part of you know I, I would say a, you know a significant mm. uh, part of we started developing that back in two thousand and fourteen, late two thousand and fourteen, two thousand and fifteen, when uh, we had to redesign our curriculum after life after levels and yeah. uh, so that's when the government abolished life and uh, the levels uh, which uh, schools used to um, you know uh, manage uh, you know judge progress and um, over the years we've refined the the the, the, the pro the dpr essentially the dpr is a is an online learning platform uh, which our curriculum is based on it's revolutionized the way we do teaching and learning so for example uh, each subject has its own curriculum on the dpr as a teacher you can um, track and monitor the progress of the students in your class and you can exactly show what they're learning how they're learning and how they're learning parents can also go into that and actually and judge and look at the progress that the children are making so their parents don't have to wait for parents evening yeah <laughs> so they can actually they can also communicate with the with, you know with the teachers so for example so, for example, two of my children go to Forest Gate at the yeah. moment, one's in year 11 and one's in year 8. And actually, I don't really have to uh, call the school and ask for a meeting uh, about my children's progress because all I have to do is log on to the DPR, see what they're learning, how they're learning, what progress they're making, what areas that they are, are, are developing or what areas that they've secured their secured their they're learning so it's revolutionized the you know the way and uh, you know we teach um, and uh, we're quite fortunate because we're using that uh, platform in our school there's also other schools in the country in the country who are using it mm-hmm. uh, at the moment uh, and one thing that I would say about the DPR is it's revolutionized the way we uh, teach and the way the students learn and uh, I'm proud to be someone who uh, was part of the development of uh, the DPR. And the DPR also won a national award last year. Uh, and um, yeah, I, it's, a, it, it's, an, it's an amazing um, program. If anyone wants to find out more, uh, go to Axel Education. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing um, 
platform and it's one that if if more schools use it honestly they will reap the benefits that we have thank you actually for giving the insight into yourself and your school and we definitely hope for future successes in your journey um we wanted to center this episode around how our people how somalis fare in these education systems in the west are we somalis doing better than we were 15 years ago even so is that enough are we really raising the bar to success um you know so that's actually the first thing i wanted to ask you um what is there a lot of data that exists when it comes to somalis because obviously we're sort of grouped into that the black african mm. so it's difficult to extrapolate that data but mm. you being a head teacher how would you how would you say we fare so look we're a very we're a very interesting community yeah. and, and we were we've, we've got lots of talent mm. uh, but we we seem very fragmented um, mm. if i'm honest uh, in terms of where we are uh, look i have been i think i've been i've been teaching since 2006 i think i started my training in 2006 and when i started teaching there wasn't many other um, somali teachers for example in london there was one other guy maybe two and uh, that, that i knew of uh, now there's hundreds yeah mm. so and uh, just in the teacher profession and uh, you know there, there's mashallah there's a lot of uh, somalis who are you know and uh, doing really well and who are in the profession i haven't seen many that have climbed the ladder and <coughs> but mashallah there's you know there some of them are doing really really well and that's also to say in other professions as well and last probably five ten years and uh, there's people out there who are doing really really well and uh, very successful in their profession uh, but the one thing that we lack uh, where which i've seen in other communities for example in the in the bangladeshi community mm-hmm. is that they tend to celebrate their success they tend to talk about it they bring people together uh, and they celebrate with one another every year uh, i get a letter from the from the bangladeshi high commissioner for example saying are there any bangladeshi students who've done really well in their gcses so we can give them a special award yeah sense of achievement and i think that's quite nice to uh, to to acknowledge that and to celebrate that and that's what, what what we lack in the Somali community we need to be proud of uh, who we are and uh, celebrate our success and there's a lot of good stories out there but what we need to do is bring that together and celebrate it because that will uh, not only be good publicity for us but that will also motivate the next generation to do really well and uh, if we do that um and if we come together uh, I, i do genuinely believe that um there's a lot of successful stories out there that we could celebrate yeah i mean the, when i was when I, when i was personally researching online the situation with the somalis there was hardly much data specifically for somalis so 
personally, I was looking at it and most of the assessment that people do about the Somali community mm. or many parents they do is just based on of, off of a hunch or what mm. they've seen from their perception. Of what, in a few words, what would you say as a head teacher, the situation by and large generally among Somalis is in the education including, system? Including secondary and college, university, all of that together. Uh, let's start off with you know primary school and secondary school first, you know, it, and college. So, um, look, uh, I've, I mean, you know, you're right. There is a there's a lack of data out there uh, because I've seen um, the that the problem with data is. Um, so I've seen Somalis in my school. And when you look at the ethnicity breakdown, I've seen Somalis. So there's a there's a category there's a category called um, Black Somalis. The yeah. Somalis have got their own um, ethnic uh, category. However, um, the when when so the parent comes in and they fill out the form, they anyone can take whatever they want. Yeah, so I can, I can say I'm white British, <laughs> and I'll be classed as white British. <laughs> I I've seen the Somalis in so the black I've seen them in the black Somali category. I've seen them in the in the, in the black British category. I've seen them in the black African category, and I've seen them also in black others as well. <laughs> so <laughs> so, so the data, so, so the data is only as reliable as it, you know, as it, as it shows. Yeah. But from my experience, um, in the sort of when I first started teaching, um, predominantly, uh, and, and prior to that, um, students were leaving with um, grades who, which was below the national average. Uh, generally, but things I'll probably say the last 10, 12 years, uh, things have improved a lot. Uh, and, um, you know, you know, our parents are understanding the importance of education. I mean, I when you, when you say improving, as in improving relative to the national average, yeah, yeah. So, so, so Somalis, uh, in Newham, for example, and um, you know, particularly, I mean, Forest Gate, which was a school that I was at for 11 years, uh, were one of the highest performing ethnic uh, uh, minority groups, you know. Wow. Um, and that's, that's, that's down to two factors. That's A, down to the school, but it's also, it's also down to the, you know, the, the, you, know, you know, the students. The culture also is very important because it has a ripple effect Um so, in schools, and uh, I would say definitely Somalis are doing better than the national average when it comes to their ca- counterparts. However, there's always in, in East London. In East London, yeah, in New. But, but you would, but we can't say that in <laughs> East London. I, I think nationally, nationally, um, I, ha- I have I haven't got the data, uh, uh, you know, at hand. However, I I, I do think uh, the days of and uh, Somalis uh, performing poorly in school uh, is, is is behind us. And uh, part of that is a lot of our parents are prioritizing education. I, I know a lot of parents, for example, who send their kids to tuition centers, mm-hmm. who send them to after school clubs because they know that um, 
the you know the importance of doing well in school you have to understand uh, that as a parent if you channel all your all your energy into your children when they're in year six for example and they're doing their sats and they do really really well in their sats they get uh, they get put into the top top um, sets in, in secondary school and ultimately uh, schools are accountable uh, to what children get in year six so a lot of parents I know uh, spend that extra time uh, and resources and you know with after school clubs and that has an impact and also like likewise uh, you, you know in secondary schools so I do think um, that Somalis are doing really relatively well compared to the counterparts nationally I haven't got the data to back it but I'm just and uh, using the case that is, for example, in my school and in Forest Gate, which I which I know really really well, and uh, I, I do think uh, there's always whilst there's always room for improvement, I I, I do think uh, that um, where we are, uh, you know, there's there's definitely a lot of success stories out there for us to celebrate. You mentioned there are a lot of success stories to celebrate. There could maybe be a case to be made that there's many stories that you know you wish you didn't hear of, you know, mm. sad cases. Mm. So from for them, what do you think are some of the main issues with them mm. as to why you know schools are failing them or the education system is failing them? So it's a it's a good question. Uh, it's a good question. Look, you know, in in my time in education, I've seen I've seen a lot of really uh, successful. Um, People and kids have done really well. Kids that I've personally taught that yeah. have gone up, gone to the likes of um, Oxford and Cambridge, and they do really well for themselves. Uh, but I've also seen some tragic, really, really tragic um, stories. Yeah, and me uh, and Madam, like we've yeah. spoken about it quite, and like we've always spoken about it, and we've sort of we've we've tried to like ask ourselves. Where is the fault? Like, is it a university? Is it, is it like, where exactly is it? And he Mads mentioned in the past that a lot of it, like, it is from a young age. Yeah, you get from that sort of primary school, secondary yeah. school. That's you, where you, you don't just learn this behavior at a very late age. And you no, it. no, definitely, definitely. If you, if you see someone who gets into trouble with you know with the law, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it, you, the issue usually starts towards the end of primary school, yeah. or uh, an early secondary school. Uh, a lot of the, the, the no, there's a lot of there's lot of issues. There's issues around poverty, uh, mm. which has a significant impact on the social and emotional needs of children. Mm. There's also uh, the issue of uh, single parent families yeah. and fathers who are absent. Uh, it's rife, you know, in in our community, uh, and uh, it has a significant impact on children. Uh, and their development while they're young. And usually you see boys or girls that get permanently excluded in school, uh, in secondary school particularly, and they get involved with gangs and county lines. Usually those are, you know, kids who who are in single-parent families. There's multiple siblings in the house. They don't crave, they don't crave, you know, they haven't got the attention yeah, that okay. they crave, uh, the you know, there's there's poverty, 
And uh, a lot of that work, uh, unfortunately, and a lot of that heartache, unfortunately, falls or you know on the on the mothers. Sometimes there's there's language barrier, there's culture barriers. You know, it's very very hard. Uh, don't get me wrong. I've seen I've seen a lot of successful stories uh, from single parent families, but the vast majority of those kids who are involved in gangs, county lines, who get excluded from school, who've got social and emotional needs are kids who either come, who are from a single parent families or kids who have experienced, for example, domestic violence yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's affected them. Uh, and um, unfortunately, uh, you know, um, these things are there. Uh, I think the question that we need to ask ourselves is how do we mitigate those uh, things happening? How do we support those youngsters early on? At, you know, so we can give them the, the mentoring and the support that they need. Yeah. Um, because, look, I know for a fact that once you start getting into trouble in school, and uh, uh, the school will try and help you and support you, but uh, there will be a point where, um, especially mainstream, mainstream schools like my, like our, my school, yeah. and there's not much more uh, that the school can do if your behavior deteriorates. Mm. And what will happen is uh, you'll get expelled uh, if your behavior doesn't improve. And then the likelihood of you getting into trouble with the with the law and getting involved in gangs, if you get permanently excluded in school, is very, very high. So the question is, what do we do? How do we mitigate that? How do we support these kids uh, youngsters while they're in school what do we do and most importantly what do we do as a community mm. uh, to mitigate I think that's really it's a really important question uh, and it's one that I, I'm still searching for answers I mean there's many issues in the Somali community in many different aspects I, I, we can't talk about all of them in this podcast but I, I want to kind of dig a bit more deeper into some of the issues because because a lot of these things are happening, they're continuing to happen, and they're happening past the gen- from generation to generation now. Single parent household is one that you've already touched upon. Let's, mm. let's touch upon that a bit deeper. What would you say is the big difference between a, a, a young boy that has come from a single parent household and one that has come from two parent household at school, especially at a primary school level first, and then secondary school? What's, mm. what, what, what's the big difference between those two boys? So... I, I, I can tell you, uh, I, I, can, I, I can look at children, generally, especially boys and girls. And I, I, yeah, Somalis. Yeah, Somalis. Somalis. Yeah. And, and also non-Somalis as well, don't mm. get me wrong. Uh, I can quickly assess them and I can quickly tell you whether they come from uh, a, a good, stable home where both parents are there or from a single parent family. Mm. It, to me, it's very obvious. You can just do it from their face. Just the way they, they're conducting themselves. The way they conduct themselves, the way they talk, the way they behave, the way they're dressed. You know, there's many, you know, there's many different things that you can look at. Uh, and um, it, it's unfortunate for some, some of these kids don't choose, for example, uh, to, to be from a single parent family. Yeah. It has a detrimental effect on both parents not being there. Uh, and, and unfortunately, the uh, it's the child that loses out. And usually, you will see, especially boys, for example, yeah. once 
they sort of turn 11, 12, 13, you know, puberty kicks in, you know, there's no father role model there, you know, it's just mum, he's not going to guarantee you, he won't be sort of listening to, to his mum, you know. Uh, and a lot of that issues will then he will he or she will take them into school and it will affect their learning. And so it's it's a you know it's it, it's quite sad, and because uh, those kids, especially you know when they hit puberty age, they 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 want both parents there. They want that support, you know, that attention, that togetherness, that stability, that familyness. Mm. And if they unfortunately don't have that, and uh, they will get that attention from somewhere else, uh, and it's usually it's usually people who don't have their interest at heart. For example, gangs and kids usually, and, and believe it or not, uh, chicken shops is where the most recruitment happens for okay. gangs and counter lines. Wow. Because usually uh, outside chicken shops, you will see gang members uh, trying to recruit kids. And what they will do is they will buy them chicken and chips. <laughs> yeah. Goodness me, yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they will offer it to them. And, yeah. uh, you know, and the next thing you know is, you know, they will offer them to buy a pair of trainers, mm. you know. And the next... Uh, the next thing you know is that they've been recruited and they're doing drugs, you know, somewhere else. So it's, and usually those kids uh, are usually the vulnerable ones. Single who parent. Don't, yeah, from single parent, who are maybe who they're, uh, the parent that they live with don't have the financial means to give them what they want. Mm. You also uh, contribute to just a lack of, to, lack of awareness from the mother. Lack of awareness, maybe. You could also say... Um, I mean, it's a lack of a compassion. It's, yeah. it's not, not a compassion, yeah. but it's, it's the lack of that father figure. That's, there's also an emotional need that the father's providing. Yeah. I mean, look, so you will, I mean, if, if, if you know, if, if you, if there's a, if, you know, what, well, you may have uh, a, 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 a mother who's got maybe three or four kids and each kid wants something different, wants something new, mm. and usually they're not cheap. Um, you know, you know, she may not have the you know the financial means to be able to give them what they want. Yeah. As soon as that happens, those kids are gonna get that from somewhere else, and as soon as that happens, you've lost them. You've completely lost them, and uh, it's not fair. It's not fair on the kids. It's also not fair on the uh, you know on the parents and. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, these things happen. And by the way, just it doesn't just happen in the Somali community. It happens in all, in all the other communities that we live with. And unfortunately, it's just the way society is. But good, stable homes where both uh, parents are there. Uh, they've got the financial means. They can give their kids what they want. And... Uh, that's what kids need, and uh, especially uh, here, where in this borough that we're in, in Newham, where it's uh, is it the, the most deprived or the second most deprived borough in the whole country? Um, you know, it's, it's very difficult, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, then yeah, we could, we could touch upon some other issues here and there.
So overcrowded households. That's a big thing in the smart community. I come from a family of six, actually seven. Same. So many Where people come from. <laughs> <laughs> Huge households. People come from families of nine. I've got friends that come from families of 11, all under one roof, about three bedrooms or four bedrooms. Wow. You know, so what impact does an overcrowded household have on a on a young boy or young girl going off to unit, going off to school right now. I do, want, I do want to do two part question that if you mm. can. Um, mm. How does it affect the Somali girl, the daughter, and how does it affect the son? I'm sure they have different effects. It does, it does, because kids want privacy, don't they? Yeah. Spe- well, while they when they're younger, you probably could get away with it, uh, but as soon as they become teenagers, mm. kids want their own space. Uh, particularly girls, uh, if I'm honest. Uh, but look, it, it's 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 a very important topic, and uh, it, it's one that not just affects us, but it also affects the the uh, lot of the Asian communities who also have large families yeah. uh, mm. like, like us. And uh, you, as as a parent, you you've got to be able to give your children. You know the space for them to study quietly, and you know to be able to relax and unwind, and you know uh, their own space. Uh, and, and look, you know it's it's very very difficult in London, uh, generally. Uh, but mm. I know Neom, and Neom is probably the worst borough in the whole country when it comes to overcrowding. Yeah. I think they've been talking about that recently as a um, in Neum, and I think Neum Council actually now is changing the way they allocate um, ha- housing. And I think uh, what they're now prioritising is overcrowding because they know how um, bad the situation is. I mean, look, I know so many families that, um, you know, live on, you know, one or two bedrooms and there's at least five or six people in the um, in the house, I was on the I was on the gate once uh, about two months ago actually, uh, and I uh, and and uh, and I saw this kid running in, running in, and I stopped him and I said, because uh, he was late to school, and I was just about to have a go at him and say, look, you know, you're one minute late to school. Why are you late? And he goes, he goes, I was in the queue for the toilet. <laughs> he said, oh, there's se- he said, there's seven of us that live in the house. Pretty sad. Yeah. One toilet. Uh, and I just, I just, I, I just yeah. held back. I just held back what I was, you know, about to I was say, about yeah. to put the fear, of, you know, into him. Um, but as soon as he said that, I said, "Look, you know, you can't, you know." So I could see the distress in his face because he was late to school. But you know, he was probably waiting, you know, good 10, 15 minutes, for, you know, to get to the bathroom, and that has an effect on the kids. Uh, you would want them to come home, have a space for them to study, yeah. have have their own space. And uh, in London, of all places, uh, I think Newham is probably the you, you know you know it's one of the toughest. It's got one of the you know there's there's something like thirty thousand people on the waiting list for housing, and yeah, it has well, a one, one it, of those me. It has a it has a <laughs> <laughs> one of those you is it? Yeah, I've been I've been in there for years. I just I just stopped bidding. Right, it's right. You've got. Quite. You've got no hope. <laughs> but we've got, well, we've got parents. Yeah, it's a privilege. You know, you know, when we got parents of you know, uh, with kids, five or six kids stuck in one bedroom mm. flats, 
very difficult. But look, it's it's hard. Um, but that is linked to, to poverty and uh, the, the overcrowding housing uh, and also the poverty will, it will, it will honestly affect children, especially when they do the GCSEs, yeah, yeah. Uh, big time. Mm. You know, going back, you mentioned that <coughs> Somalis, uh, you mentioned that there's a lack of celebrating success. Mm. Now I wanted you to touch on, mm. on do you think that we haven't been nurtured to take these achievements seriously? Do you think that parents just don't care? No, I mean, look, parents do care. Uh, they may not understand, um, you know, they may not be as literate, uh, you know, as you would want them to be mm. uh, in terms of knowing the education system and how it works, what will get your child, you know, the best form of GCSEs, what A-levels can they do, what course, you know, they may not understand, but one thing I know is, especially, uh, mashallah, uh, Somali mothers, they would uh, spend their wealth, uh, you know, all of their wealth on their children and their children's education. In terms of, uh, when I said, uh, you know, we don't celebrate, the, you know, our success, what I meant by that is, and I mean, I gave the example of the you know, the Bangladeshi High Commissioner writing to every school in London. Uh, you know, we we're kind of we we're all you know doing things in isolation rather than you know coming, you together. Know, coming together. We're a bit you know fragmented. Yeah. We kind of need you know people like yourselves, uh, <laughs> Mashallah, who do really well, and uh, bringing people no. together. We need organisations bringing people together. Celebrating success, celebrating some of the you know the amazing achievements and that you know you know that we you know are you know we achieve you know as a community. I think that's really important. Uh, but we seem to just be doing things in isolation. Mm. And but you know you know you know there's there's I think you know people like yourself you know youngsters who've got lots of energy, very innovative. I, I think we need to create these kind of platforms to share stories, share successes and celebrate them because uh, don't underestimate uh, the impact of what you're, for example, doing will have on others. Mm. It will motivate others. It will open doors. It will, and, and you know, it will help people. People out there will be listening, will be saying, right, you know, I need to do something similar or maybe I need yeah, to. Yeah. I need to get in contact with, uh, with you know, with, with you know, uh, you know, with the boys, and it, it's nice, and it then creates a ripple effect. It's like the snowball effect, uh, mm-hmm. and that's what makes that's what makes the biggest difference. Uh, and I'm confident uh, that um, I mean what you guys are doing and what others are doing uh, will have a positive impact on the community as a whole. Inshallah, yeah, yeah, it's, it's important. I, I think growing up. So one of the biggest things I noticed is, 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 is that the lack of role models in the Somali community. Mm. Whereas now you need to actually export it. Like you have to get your role models from outside of the community mm. now. Mm. You know, and unfortunately now when you go on social media or mm. online, you know, they're not the best role models. You know, you, you might call mm. someone a role model, but they're not the best, they're not gonna push you in the right direction. Mm. They might give you false aspirations. Mm. Yeah, I think yeah, role model, uh, again, it's another area that uh, you know, that we lack, I mean, there's more, you know, um, you know, 
my, my, my father always used to say to me, you need to work twice as hard as the white man to be on the same level as him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's about, you know, it's about hard work. It's about desire. It's about, um, so, you know, my, when I was, what one thing that motivated me when I was young uh, and growing up was my ambition was, uh, was to wear uh, a shirt and a tie and work in central London. That was my ambition. <laughs> <laughs> That's what motivated me. Uh, and I used, to, I used to get really fascinated seeing men, you know, wearing, you know, like suits, carrying a briefcase, oh, going, yeah. to, going to the, you know, train station. And I used to say one day, I, mm. I, you know, uh, I want to be like them. I, I remember I did, my, uh, I did my work experience in a law firm in Tower Hill. This was in the, you know, in the, in the mid 90s. Yeah, and sort of getting on the train uh, uh, in Barking Station, getting on that district line all the way to Tower Hill, and just just, just looking around and seeing all these men suited and booted. I, I I said to myself, "Ah, oh, yeah, I want to. I, so, I want to be like them." <laughs> so that was always my motivation to work hard in life. Yeah, yeah. But as you know, I alhamdulillah, I'm blessed, and you know, you know, my career. My degree, my teaching, getting to the teaching career—it's I've kind of stumbled onto it without any guidance, without any one uh, saying, "Right, how about this? How about that?" There's no career advice. Alhamdulillah, but uh, you know, it's been a blessing in disguise. Alhamdulillah, I'm very fortunate. Uh, but I'm 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 now in a uh, in a position where I can guide my children, you know, give them the guidance. That they didn't, that I didn't have, for example, you know that role model. Uh, so I, often, I, I mean, my son's fifteen. You know, we speak quite openly about school, you know, A levels, what he wants to do. And uh, he's in a position where he doesn't, you know. But I'm in that position where, alhamdulillah, you know, I can guide him. And if we have, you know, uh, more people doing that, yeah. you know, it will make a huge difference. Mm. I've got three, three more areas but it's, I hope it doesn't take too long but I think they're, 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 they're quite big parts to this so, so you, you guys have been speaking about this EAL what, what is that specifically and I, to be honest the main reason I'm asking is I want to ask about teachers in general yeah. because they are the people who are building these relationships with students mm. and Somali boys are going to and Somali boys and girls are going to school now and building relationships with teachers what impact do you think this is having on students and also what impact are teachers now? Well, Somali, what impact are are teachers who? I don't think Somali boys can relate a lot to these teachers. What what impact is that having on their educational mm -hmm. performance? Mm -hmm. So, so I mean, earlier on when I was referring to EAL, so EAL basically stands. It means anyone whose English is an additional yeah. language for them. So, in schools generally, unless you're white British even though you're, you're maybe second or third generation immigrant and you speak pure English. So when you were in school, for example, you, 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 even though you were born here and you grew up here, you're still considered as EAL because uh, you've got English as an additional language. In other words, what it means is that you speak an additional language and English may not be your first language, which actually is a bit of a weird way to describe someone. It, what, that, what, 
what pe- what then some schools who didn't or some teachers shall I say who weren't aspirational or who weren't who didn't believe in, in their students what they would do is say they would say all right Mahad is EAL so therefore as English is his additional language he can't he can't achieve yeah. as well as others <laughs> which is preposterous uh, because you know and actually <laughs> In my school, or in Forest Gate, where I worked, uh, students who were EAL or perceived as EAL were performing, were outperforming the ones who <laughs> weren't considered as EAL. So it was an excuse that teachers in my school were using at that time. Uh, in terms of, um, you know, um, Somalis generally, uh, and you know, you talked about, uh, you know. Do they see teachers as role models? And I think for me, I mean, I always, so for example, when I uh, meet with parents, for example, yeah. uh, especially Somali parents, you know, I don't speak to them in English. I speak to them in yeah, Somali wow, because yeah. I want to show them, you know, them. you know, I want to build a relationship with them. I want to gravitate towards them. I want them, you know, you know, some of them, don't really speak English that well. So I'm yeah. in a position where... So they see that as a privilege. Uh, I also uh, speak to them in Somali in front of their children, yeah. just to also show them that. Uh, I do believe uh, that... I mean, I, I you know, I want them to understand that actually being a Somali... Uh, is not it's not a barrier to success mm. you can actually you you can achieve anything if i if i you know and uh, got to uh, if i could get to the position where i am yeah and uh, you know why can't they you know? course, yeah, yeah. so it, it's about understanding and i think uh breaking those barriers and also uh, seeing other somalis uh you know in the school is very important so when i Got there. There wasn't any other Somalis in the school. I, I've recruited quite a few. Yeah. So the, there's at least uh, there's about six, six, seven. You know, Somalis. Some are teachers. Some yeah. are support staff. Because I want I want the kids to see. You know, other fellow Somalis doing really well yeah, in yeah. the school, and I think that is. Uh, that's that's very very important, and it will also be a role model for them. Yeah. But it will also be uh, a point of contact for the community as well, because uh, the likelihood of other Somalis uh, who live in the area sending their children to to our school, because there's also other Somalis that work there, that will help them and that will support them. Is you know, right. you know, is very high. Uh, I I did my training in a school in uh, in Newham, and. Um, the, the school served a very diverse uh, part of Newham. Uh, predominantly, uh, I'll probably say 98% of the students were from a sort of ethnic minority background. But the teachers were like 100% white. Mm. Yeah. And then even as a trainee, I said to myself, how's that possible? The school is not a reflection of the, of the community that yeah, it serves. Absolutely. And there was a disconnect between the students and the staff. So that kind of 
early on in my teaching career, that kind of scarred me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so that's why in my school, uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, I, I've, I've made it diverse. You know, there's, you know, and, you know, there's Somalis, there's Asians, there's Blacks, there's Whites. Uh, but I made sure that uh, the teachers that I'm recruited to teach the students can also relate to the students. Course, as well. That yeah. is very, very important. That's very important because what, what it will also do is it will motivate the students because if the students see one particular ethnicity in the school, yeah, then, you know, that's not going to have a positive effect. So, look, you know, it, it's... Uh, you know, do you feel like there's there's a little bit of guiltiness to the teachers there? So sometimes you know they might not show the level of care. Generally speaking, I, I like to think I like to think teachers will act. Teachers generally will you know uh, you know act professionally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's always subconscious biasness. Of course, uh, of course, of course. You know, everywhere. But I like to think that you will deal with things with objectively. Mm, you know, you know, uh, systematically. But one thing, as I said earlier on, that I've prioritised is uh, also making the school diverse. Important, yeah. Uh, because that diversity is very important. Because you know, Neum is a very diverse uh, borough. Uh, you can't have a school which is not a reflection of the local community. Just like uh, was the case when I was a trainee in a school down the road, which I never really understood because you've got kids who are 99% sort of ethnic minority, but you've got a school where the teaching staff is 100% one particular ethnicity. And you're thinking, that's 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 not right. That's not right. And you will have that disconnect. So, of course, yeah. And there'll, there'll, there'll always be barriers. And... Some of these people may not understand the needs of some of these, you know, ethnic minority communities, which is which is really important. You need to be able to relate to people and understand people. Yes. Do you want to take a question on tuition? Um, before getting on to that, I do want to get on to university. Obviously, you've mentioned in the past to us that compared to 15 years ago, there are a plethora of Somalis going to universities. Uh, we've got even a few like making it into the big the big ones, the Cambridge, the Oxford. Are all of these degrees um based from, you know, our personal aspirations or our, you know, the things that we love, are they are they all worth it, even if it may not translate into jobs? Things maybe degrees that are not really STEM related. And you know what, maybe if I do a degree which is quite different that's out there, I'm not gonna name any. They might maybe be more likely to graduate, but does that equate to financial stability and success in the long run? So I think I, I read a study somewhere, and I can't remember what it was, which said someone who's got a degree and someone who hasn't got a degree, and the sort of life, the, the difference in terms of what they yeah. earn is around about, is it? In their lifetimes, about five million pounds. Uh, so it's a lot of money. So, so if they have a degree, they if they have, have a degree, more you know, you know, if they have a degree compared, to if they don't have a degree, yeah, usually during their working life, life there's about five million yeah. pounds. <laughs> so going to university uh, and getting a degree uh, is very important. It's very very important, especially uh, for us. Uh, you know, 
ethnic minorities yeah. who've always got to prove themselves, uh, who've got to work hard, and who've got to always have to go the extra mile. And you know the you know so it's really important. Uh, university these days is very very expensive. People take loans. You know it's very expensive. Mm. Uh, but I do think the merits of going to university is outweighs. You know the you know the merits of not going to university. I mean, there's there's different routes these days. You know, you can do apprenticeship uh, degrees, and you know, there's mm. different there's different avenues. But yeah, yeah, which yeah, which absolutely, which which are free, and you get paid for it. Yeah. Uh, but I do think going to university and getting a degree for uh, ethnic minority community, especially us, will aid us. What is also really important. Uh, uh, and I can't stress the, the importance of this, is choosing the right degree. Mm. Um, what and do you mean by the right degree, though? So choosing a degree where you will then be in a better position of getting a job, getting a worthwhile job. And because, um, I don't know, if you do a degree in, I don't know, biomedical science, for example, you, you're, you're, your your um the likelihood of you getting a job you know as soon as you graduate uh may be less compared to if you do a degree in a in in, in say for example physiotherapy where which is a which is a sought after career. Uh, you know career so you've got to research your degree very very uh, well uh, and uh, you've then got to persevere and uh, and you, you usually university is very very challenging especially that first year and make sure you don't drop out of university i've seen i've seen a lot of people that dropped out of university after the first semester i nearly dropped out myself yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah after the first couple of weeks i said whoa this is completely different to college you know but alhamdulillah i persevered uh, and, and i got through and so you know that's really important. What we need, and I think, um, what you guys um, um, should do uh, is try to offer the next generation. You know that career advice. You know, you know, six, sixteen, seventeen year olds. Yeah, yeah. You know, sitting down, give them options. What kids? You know. You know, I, I remember. I remember when I when I was going to university, and um, I did not have any guidance. And uh, I, op- I remember I opened the the you know the the prospectus, literally flicking through, and I and I said, yeah, that sounds that business, <laughs> business information technology yeah, sounds yeah. really good. I think I August. should do that. It's not yeah. different to August catalog. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But, but it's so important that you choose a degree that is going to get you a job afterwards. There's nothing worse than going through three years, uh, you know, £10,000 a year, you know, uh, of tuition fees and then ending up with no job afterwards. And I, I completely agree with that. You know, I remember when I went to uni, that was one of the biggest things that jumped out to me, especially when I got to second and third year. The Somalis were coming into thirsty, first year. By the end of that year, they were gone. And first year is the most is an extremely easy year. Yeah. yeah so, I, I, well, there's many factors to this. You know, there's many factors. Many of them we've already discussed. You know, so the housing problems there. A lot of it was poverty. Mm. I think 
there are some other issues here which is a bit contradictory to what you guys are saying is that sometimes they're picking degrees which are translating into a jobs a lot their parents sometimes pressure them to do it but most of these young men never wanted to do this degree they were picking an engineering degree mm. they just didn't feel like it suited them mm. they're not good at maths they're not good at many other things linked to it you know this this young man who just took an engineering degree was way better off picking like history or something like that or politics he was going to be he's more likely to become successful from that he enjoys it more he's more likely to stay longer in that degree so i think it's one of the dangers in advising people to do specific kind of degrees that are completely not like i don't think he was mentioned um specific i think he was just saying that we've just got to be wary of when we pick a degree what is that going to translate to three or four years down the line I think that's probably the... No, but, but most of the job market is kind of... Uh, is craving now, uh, you know, a select amount of degrees yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. STEM yeah, subjects, yeah. a lot of the times, the job market is just dying for people who are into these markets. Yeah, so, so I, I mean, this is where... I mean, I mean, I gave the classic example of when I was looking for my degree. Mm. I, it was just literally, as you said, it was very similar to the Argos uh, catalogue, you know, story. And what I suppose what we need is i mean you guys and you know the the ones who've done really well in life and who've got established careers i think it's an opportunity for you guys to work on the youngsters and give them you know that opportunity that so you didn't have or those people that you know um who dropped out you know who you said you were they were doing engineering yeah, yeah. you know that that's what you need you need to be able to uh, know what you're getting yourself into, mm. but you also need you also need resilience as well. I think resilience is 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 extremely important. I mean, when I got to university, I gen I honestly nearly dropped out because I found the transition from college to university, university very very difficult. Suddenly, I mean, I was uh, I was eighteen, nineteen, and I was like, you know, you go from school to to this big bad world where you know and, and it was like i felt you know and universities should also be helping with that you know uh, you know a lot because what you don't want is people dropping out but we never even used to think oh, i remember man when we used to go to uni there was things like careers advice and things and careers fair but we never really used to take that seriously you know, you know, you know, when you start a uni, you're not really interested in careers. Yeah. You're just interested in socializing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, really, it's, not, yeah. it's not, you know, it's the first time you go to uni. I remember going to, 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 to the university I went yeah. to. You see a lot of Somalis there. I thought, oh, these people are cool. I thought, let me hang out. No, Somalis, mashallah, going to university. There's a, there's a lot of Somalis going to universities. Even one, even sort of in the, in the early noughties when I, when I was at university. And mashallah, there was a lot. But I think the question is how many of them have actually finished it? Mm. Uh, and uh, I mean, you, you know, usually, you know, your parents want you to go to university. I mean, those days it was it was relatively free, uh, relatively yeah. cheap. Go to yeah. university. It's not these days. It's not anymore. Yeah. Uh, and you don't want to get yourself in a you know tangled in, in a debt and not come out of a you know come out of it with a degree. So like. You know that that support, that mentoring, that guidance—it is so important. Uh, and um, yeah, maybe we should set something up about that. I think it's really important uh, to give youngsters that guidance, even even one-to-one -one mentoring. Of course, you know, yeah, like, of course. especially in that first year, 
where I mean, I mean, you, technology these days, you can you can do it, you know, online, where you just you know, um, you know, work with them and you know try to get them through, because the likelihood of them finished if they get through that first year is very high, I think. Even if we can reduce, if we can have an Damage impact control. where we, you know, even if we we, we prevent say, one or two or three of them dropping out, mm. that that would definitely be a success story. A lot of money on the line. It's a lot. Of, yeah. Um, Shall the other last thing that I wanted to mention, um, and you know what? There's a possibility that me and you are going to have to agree to disagree, and I completely accept that. Is um, the tuition system. Um, I, alhamdulillah, um, I spend my time in like the, the Arbor of all tuition centres in North London. So I know my fair way about it. Um, Best tutors? Yeah. I went there myself actually as well. <laughs> did you? Yeah. <laughs> what did you make of it? I think once you're in the tuition system, you see with us and Wally, we're sort of at the age of 10 or at, like as soon as we as soon as we can start talking, mm. our mums and dads are putting us into tuition. Mm. And, you know, everything becomes a blur. And it's only in the latter years of your life you start to reflect a lot on things. And I mean, for people that don't know then, Best Tutors is a North London tuition centre yeah. that majority of Somalis send their, send their kids to. Everyone Everyone 99, 99.99% <laughs> yeah. of the kids there are Somali. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, somehow... 99% of the teachers are Somali. It's just... Yeah, so so, so, so there's a lot of tuition centres in, in the UK, in the UK yeah. and in London, but somehow most of them seem, seem to all gravitate towards Best yeah. Tutors. So, 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 so anyway, continue. Um, and one of the reasons why I wanted to mention this is that obviously when you're looking at Somali-dominated tuition centres, um, you look at me as an example. Um, I've done a few GCSEs that are things like maths and statistics. And then after about a year, I became a tutor there. And, you know, kids, they leave their GCSEs at a young age and then a couple of years later, like they could be maybe 16 or 17 and they can become tutors. But my question is, I've never felt even from a personal point of view, that I should have taken that responsibility. Um, there is a lot of emphasis on tuition and studying, but, you know, the younger academics should actually learn how to teach. And I'll probably refer back to Ta'lim al by Sheikh Saleh al-Rasimi. Um, and it's about learning how to seek knowledge before seeking knowledge, how do you do it? And similarly, I just feel that we, for us, we need to learn how to teach but we wasn't so because of that I just felt like there was flaws within the tuition system that and the fact that me personally I have my reservations on whether a child you know should be in a classroom eight to five but surely there's got to be that element of burnout or diminishing marginal utility when he then goes to that tuition after five spends about two three hours like his, his entire day is tuition and then it's um, it's school then it's tuition back to back <laughs> do you know what uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of um, best tutors and, uh, and the reason why I like them is they do a lot of repetitive work with them especially when the kids are young for example yeah. you know the times table mm. handwriting I probably wouldn't send my kids there if they're doing GCSE uh, because okay. because and uh, and they're not being taught by qualified teachers. Okay. They're being taught by graduates. Yeah. And teaching is 
it's not just sort of having a first class degree in maths. Mm. If you've got a first class degree in maths, it doesn't necessarily mean you're a good teacher. Exactly. Okay, I think you have to understand that. The reason why I send my kids there who are in primary school is when they're young, in school, in primary school, and, you know, there's, there's, you know, obviously they do maths and English, and, but they do a lot more sort of like, like mental maths, mm. handwriting, vocabulary, comprehension. And I'm a big fan of that because, okay. uh, but one thing that I don't do is send them there, you know, after a long day in school. Yeah, okay. They go there on a Saturday morning, they yeah. do two hours of maths, two hours of English. And I think that's enough mm. to complement what they're, what they're learning, and, uh, you know, in school. But you, one thing that you mustn't do is just, you know, pack their bags and send them there yeah. uh, and let, let them uh, get on with it. Uh, you need to be able to be, you need to look at their books, you need to look at the progress that they're making, you've got to say, is this, is this value for money? You know, you've got to course, see, yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got to see the teachers regularly. Sometimes when my nine-year-old son has, didn't do enough uh, English or, or maths, you know, you know, I speak to the teachers, you know, so you've got to be, you just mustn't just let them crack on there and say, right, you know, they're going to teach my kids. You need to know what they're teaching and how they're teaching. And if they're not uh, teaching them the way you would expect, you need to be able to hold hold them accountable. And um, in terms of, um, you know, getting kids to teach, I mean, it's a, it's a cheap way for them to, you know, because they, you know, uh, it's not something that I would advocate for, yeah. uh, but I, I do really like their primary school model. Yeah. Uh, okay, okay. You know, as for their secondary and GCSE and A levels, mm. I wouldn't personally send my children there. If you know, for example, my son is in year eleven, he's doing his GCSE. I wouldn't send him there because I would I wouldn't want him being taught by other. A-level students, yeah. do, you, do, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't advocate for that, but as when the kids are younger and they're in primary school and a lot of the sort of repetitive work that they do with them, I'm a big fan and I like it. And as a result of my kids in primary school going there, I can see uh, that they're doing really well in school as a result. I'm going to put out a disclaimer. Um, yeah. I wasn't saying any, that, that place has done me very, very well. I was right. just talking about um, the model, tuition, yeah, the, yeah, the tuition yeah. center model in but, general. Yeah, but so, so uh, tuition uh, centers. Uh, I mean, yes, and uh, they um, they do help. They do complement. I think what's important though is um, schools these days cover a lot, depending on what school your child goes to. I think the most important thing rather than just sending your child to the tuition centre and not knowing what's being taught there, mm. is is find out, you know, where the gaps in learning are uh, in your children. Go to, go onto their school, speak to the teachers. In our case, look on the DPR and see where the gaps yeah. in the learning are. And then look at those particular topics, you know, for example, maths. Your child is studying GCSE maths. What are they struggling with? trigonometry you know you know you know algebra what is it that they're struggling with and then focus on that mm -hmm. you don't have to go to a tuition center to focus on that 
or if they are going to a tuition centre, focus on what they are struggling with uh, rather than... That's why it's important that if your child's going to a tuition centre, there is some sort of uh, link with what they're studying in school other than just covering random stuff, which I believe, uh, and I'm not sure... uh, you know, that's maybe what they would do in some tuition centers, which is not led by teachers. Usually, I mean, these are businesses, they want to make money. Yeah. Uh, but are they being run by qualified teachers who know the national curriculum, who know the specification for GCSE? Do they know the specification? Do they know, have they done things like uh, question, level, uh, question level analysis where you pick out the topics yeah. where kids are scoring low? There's no point just giving them a random paper. You need to be able to say, right, you know, these are these are all the topics in the specification for GCSE maths. Right, you know, you know, these are the topics that generally kids find difficult, right? Focus on that. Mm-hmm. These are the stuff that you need to understand. And you will only understand that if you work in a school or you've got a position of, position of responsibility in a school, or you know the specifications really well. Um, thank you very much for that. Um, on a last note, do you have any parting advice for our Somalis, particularly our boys, our Somali boys? Uh, yeah, look, I mean, um, you know, mashallah, I, I have seen um, a lot of them do really, really well uh, in school. Um, I've also seen a lot of them who fall into the wrong crowd and, uh, you know, and, you know, and they've unfortunately taken the wrong path and, uh, you know, some sadly that I've known as a result of that have lost their lives. Um, MashaAllah, our, our sisters are doing exceptionally well. Uh, I think every uh, male that I've seen go to university or do really well. There's probably ten sisters. <laughs> so, so we've 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 the boys have got the boys have a lot of work to do to catch up uh, and be on par with the girls. Mashallah, I've seen some amazing girls, uh, hard work and dedicated, and generally they are doing exceptionally well. The boys, uh, not so much well. Uh, however, uh, I, I have seen some who done exceptionally well. So what I would say is, look, work hard, uh, be good role models for for our sisters, and work hard. And, and 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 once you make it and you do really well and you've got an established career, what I would say is you know, give something back to the community to benefit the community and the youngsters because that's really, really important uh, that you uh, also become a role model mm-hmm. for the next generation. You always have to look at the next generation and say, what can I do to benefit them? Uh, you know, you've done well. If you haven't done well, uh, my, 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 you know, my, 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 my my suggestion is uh, it's never too late. Dust yourself yeah. uh, I, 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 and get back on, to, uh, on, on the right path. And, you know, it's never too late. 
it's never too late. Uh, if you've made mistakes uh, in life, uh, you know, there's always an opportunity. <clears throat> the one thing that I would say is uh, the one thing that could stop you is getting into trouble with the criminal justice system. Um, if, if, if that has happened, it's going to be very difficult uh, in life generally. Mm. Uh, but look, the, the, it's never too late. There's always opportunities. Uh, but one needs to know uh, that actually in this country that we're in, uh, you know, you know, I, look, I've got a family. I've got family in other countries in Europe, America, in the Middle East, and the opportunities that we have here. Others don't have in other countries yeah. that were, you know. So grab the opportunity with uh, with both hands and do something with yourself uh, and work hard. And I and I genuinely do believe that if you work hard, uh, you will get what you deserve. Yeah, um, I think we definitely have had a healthy conversation, and it's best to leave it on that note. We both want to thank you, Omar. So it was very good to call you the first for taking the time out to come on this episode. We do wish you the best. May Allah grant you success in your future endeavors with your school. Um, we do want to thank the listeners for tuning in again. We appreciate it very, very much. So please do subscribe, whether you have Apple or Spotify, and do tune in when you can. Do keep interacting with us on socials as much as you can. And as always, we will see you on the next episode. Salam alaikum wa rahmatullah.